Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, I'm, I usually do my little rant today, but I want to tell you a story about my guest today. Um, she wrote a great book called I'm With The Band, and back when I was doing stand-up comedy on the road, I would always sit there, and this was you know, the like late 80s when I bought the book. You're on the road, and you were bored, and you would sit there, and it was before laptops. I mean, I, had a, I took a brother to try to write stuff and you ever try to travel with one of those brother word processors they were too big and I would always look for books because there wasn't you know there wasn't a lot on TV it wasn't like now I mean this sounds so weird it wasn't that long ago and I found that book at a bookstore I think it was performing in Richmond, Virginia and it was such a good book that I read it in like two days and then I was mad because I'm like now I gotta buy another book Enough about that. <laughs> and so it's very surreal. My guest is Pamela DeVars. How you doing, Pam? Hi, I'm good. It's uh, so cool. I, I, you're back. You're, I was reading you know, a little a bio about you. Your upbringing and your, just your life has been so fast. I mean, do you know how fascinating your life is? <laughs> I mean, A lot of people seem to think so. Yes, yes, I do know, actually. I lived it. So, yeah, it's been pretty cool. And it still is. It's, it's like I'm, I certainly don't act like a senior citizen, no, see, that's, which I am. <laughs> but are you? No, no. See, that's not. Do you have an AARP card? Uh, yeah. Did you? Sure. Okay. I've had one now for 15 years. Are you okay. kidding? Because uh, I got I just I turned 51. Oh. And when I turned I, when I turned 50, I'm like, I, I don't want the AARP card because I think about my parents AARP, you know, and it's like no, my mom. Go, I use it see. on occasion, actually, for motels and stuff. Little discounts. Now. How? At what age did your love of music happen? I mean, how did you get into loving music? Was you were you a young kid? Because you, yeah, music? very young. Uh, my parents were not big music heads. Like we, we didn't have a stereo playing all the time. Like some of my friends' parents were, you know, had a lot of Sinatra playing. My parents weren't like that. So I really got it mainly on the radio in the car. So and I became sort of uh, crazy about Dean Martin really young, really really young. Sway and some of that very when I was like very very little then Elvis happened to me I was almost nine and I was obsessed with Elvis very very early my my dad took me my dad's the one who got me into the love of thrifting and swap meets and stuff and he took me to a friend's big garage sale and he said pick something out and there I didn't see any dolls or any toys that interested me but I saw a big stack of records so I started going through them, and I recognized Elvis Presley's name because he'd been on Ed Sullivan, and I, you know, I'd been here. So I chose, I, I, I got two records that day, uh, Jailhouse Rock, which was the, and the flip side was Treat Me Nice, which I've got tattooed on my back. Okay. One of those life-changing records. And uh, Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis. So those two records at age eight and three quarters became my life and of course Elvis to me was a lot cuter than Jerry Lee Lewis Yeah, <laughs> and I just obsessed on him and it, it, that triggered into Dion I became a huge Dion fan and then the Beatles of course so music has been just my my heir for you know decades I love I love the fact that you remember your first two records because I remember okay. my first two albums and uh, um, this is I, I don't I must have been like First grade or second grade, one was the Partridge Family's greatest hits, whatever. Uh -huh. Partridge Family, and no, the other was Tom Jones' greatest hits. And I don't know why Interesting. I I love that song, "God Green Little Apples." Or I, I don't know mm -hmm. now, but it's just weird that you like for you to I mean, you know Elvis Presley, but just name recognition, and then just it's so weird that yeah. we all remember like those first albums or songs you know we liked i mean i remember listening to you know the driving with the am radio and hearing neil diamond you know uh sweet caroline and all yeah, this stuff yeah. and, and it was just it was you sit there and you still remember those moments and that's what's good that's what's great about music it just sticks in your mind well it stuck in my mind so much that i had tattooed on my back now, treat me nice now why when did the, when did you get the tattoo i got it probably oh three or four years ago maybe four five years ago maybe and just it was just to commemorate that moment and that that how it changed me to listen to Elvis over and over and over again so many times my mom would say please stop playing that record to where you know the words were so ingrained in me and that that's part of my reason I became a groupie I do believe is because of Elvis was telling me thousands of times how to treat him nice okay that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's great though that's that's good though. so so now you you're loving the music 
and now as you get older, how do you start going to meet musicians and stuff like that? Because I'm sure the scene was very different now because now it's like everything's... It's very, very difficult for the girls now. I hear from them every day asking me, how can they meet so-and-so? You know, what can they do to attract so-and-so? It's, it's much harder now. When I was doing it, there was no word groupie. It started even earlier, though, because a band... A rock band started rehearsing across the street from my house. They never became famous or anything, but there they were, these beautiful musicians with these guitars and, and you know, bass and drums and microphones. So, and I, w- I got to go listen to them rehearse and practice. I went to their gigs in the valley. And so I realized that musicians were living human beings and I could meet them and touch them and kiss them, actually. My first kiss was from the guitar player. So and then I dated the drummer. So it was it was. Well, let me ask you something. Okay, your first kiss was the guitar player. Yeah. Why doesn't why doesn't ever paying attention to the bassist? That's not true. I became a big bass. Okay, good. Because no, oh. but you always hear like you know my you first two lovers were bass players. Okay, so okay, but so your first kiss was guitars, but your lovers were bassists. Yeah, okay. my first two. Okay, so so you just started. My first three actually were bassists. Yeah, it was Nick St. Nicholas from Steppenwolf, Noel Redding from the Hendrix Experience. And Chris Hillman of the Birds, yeah. Wow. My first three were actually bassists, bass players. See, see, that's no, cool. Wow, what see, a trip! That's crazy. <laughs> that's that's good though. That's good to know. That see, any guys playing the bass is not all about the lead singer and the guitarist. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's, so so you started, you went and saw that band, and you just, was it was did it make did you just was your love of music just you want to get close to them too? Just, yeah, I'd already been crazy about music with right. Elvis and Dion and everything. And yeah, I thought, well, I can get close to him. Right, okay, now I want to go get close to whoever it was. I was too young for Dion, and I was just barely too young for the Beatles. I just missed Paul McCartney's loose ways. Apparently he was wild. (laughs) And I could have, you know, I was just a little too young. Um, So, but but then when the Stones came along, I was still in high school, but I was determined to meet them. And it was a lot easier then. The DJs would say, yeah, the Stones are in town recording at RCA. So we would just get in the car, go down to RCA, and sort of wait around outside to meet them. I mean, that's how easy it was back then. That's just so funny because it's changed so much. It's everything. It's like even if it's someone is, is it not really known, it's like they have the security and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a pain. Oh, yeah. Well, secu- there was no security back then. There was an occasional roadie, you know, around to sort of help with whatever they were doing but it wasn't really to protect them from the fans yet at that point right you know? the fans you know there was only a handful of girls hanging around there even even though the dj who spewed all this information out thousands and thousands and that million of us heard it but only a handful went down there so now you there love the no music groupie word yet no, no. G word well how, how did how did that word arise do you know uh, it was. It came originally. I think the first time I heard it, saw it written print was a British uh, journalist. We started calling us groupies because we were hanging out with groups. It was a very innocent word. Became quickly a tarnished, kind of very negative jeer, uh, you know, from people who just were jealous, basically. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's like it's like anything. You know, you sit there and go, "Wow, they're meeting them." Like, they're, and, and it's like anything. It's like people who aren't around it are going to bitch. Yeah, and they did, and we, you know, a lot of us got, you know, slurs, you know, pointed fingers at us, and you know, so what? I didn't care really. Well, I want to ask you because your love for music. Now you started singing. Now how did? Yes, I I wasn't a good singer, but Frank Zappa didn't care. Now how did you meet Frank Zappa? (laughs) Um, we were dancing. I okay. I started going to the Sunset Strip first. First place I went was the teen fair to see Captain Beefheart because his cousin went to my high school and invited me. So I met Captain Beefheart at a very young age. Now, try to imagine that. (laughs) Captain Beefheart was as wild and alternative as it gets. So my brains were scrambled very, very young, still in high school, 16 when I met Don Van Vliet. And so then I started going to the Sunset Strip after I hitchhiked over the hill from, I was raised in the valley. So I started going to the Sunset Strip and a lot of beautiful hippie boys everywhere, bands. There were a lot of, you know, the musicians walked all up and down the Sunset Strip too. So I started meeting musicians and it was uh, just a lifestyle. I mean, it just became my lifestyle. And I, but the birds were one of my favorite acts. I was a Dylan fanatic. And they were doing Dylan songs, and they were cute. 
So I first band I met was the Birds. They were playing at Ciro's. It was now it's the Comedy Store, uh, and just knocked on the backstage door, which still faces the strip. The backstage door just right there on the strip. No one did it but me. Right. I went there. I said, "I'm going to meet the band," even though I'm, you know, basically used to be not so much now a shy person. But I was so determined to meet these people. I just knocked on the door. Roger McGuinn, Jim at the time, opened the door, handed me a joint, and I walked in, sat there with the birds while they practiced to go up on stage. I was too young to get into Ciro's, but they. I got to go stand on the stage with them. That was a very heady experience. So I just wanted more of that. Right. So and then one of the first people, too, I met was Zappa. And we started dancing with a lot of the bands. Love, um, Buffalo Springfield. You know, we would just get up and dance at Love Inns on the stage with them. So Frank saw us doing that. He invited us to dance with the mothers. So, and we, seven of us, eventually, there were five, then there were seven and we dressed very skimpily. We were teenage girls with hardly any clothes on or crazy outfits. We dressed in diapers and bibs with pigtails, you know, just the craziest. And he loved having us on stage with him. Then he started a record company. And he said, why don't you guys write some songs? He just thought our lifestyle was so amazing in Laurel Canyon and everything. And so that people would want to remember us, would want to know what we were like. And he always liked to capture a moment in time. So he had us write songs while the mothers were on the road, and he came back and recorded us. That must have been awesome, though. I mean, for you, I mean, loving music <laughs> and getting a chance to record something. It was, especially being a girl, there were just no girl rock bands. There was, you know, there was Janis Joplin, you know, these front girls, and, and Grace Slick, and, but there were no girl groups. It didn't exist. So we were, like, the first, really. And uh, we didn't play instruments, though. We just sang, if you want to call it that. It, it would now be considered performance art, but there was no term back then for that. <laughs> See that? There was no groupies. There was no performance. You're, you're, you're ahead of You're ahead of everybody. Pioneer. I am a you're pioneer. You're a major pioneer. In a lot of ways, yeah. <laughs> so after you, you know, you, you start, how do you venture into meeting more musicians? Because, you know, you're on Sunset Strip, and, and do you sit there and go, okay, I like this band. I want to meet them. Or do people yeah. say, hey, you know, these girls are really cool. They like to dance. They're there crazy. some of both. You know, eventually, when the GTOs actually became a known entity, of course, there was no, obviously, people can, you know, young people can't even imagine what the world would be like without phones and internet and everything. But we didn't have cell phones or internet, or, you know, so it was all, we, I called it the groupie tom-toms. We just knew where bands were staying. We, they knew everything about us, and they would come to town and look us up. A lot of British bands, especially, because they knew they were going to have a wild, fun, crazy time with the GTOs, and they might meet Frank Zappa, who everybody wanted to meet. So it was easy. They would call. They would come to town, find like Jimmy Page found my phone number. I don't know how he got Isn't it. Isn't that amazing? Like you know, you think back now, and you're right, kids with the phones, and, and it's so funny. Like I think when I was, you know, when I would do stand-up comedy, and I would get, do a show in my area. We didn't have cell phones, and if I want to meet my friends at a bar, I go, okay, I'll, I'll probably be done. Yeah. The show will be yeah. over at eleven thirty. Um, twenty minutes from Philadelphia. Where are you guys going to be? Well, we'll be at Polo Bay. If we're not there, we'll be there. Yeah. If not there, we'll go to New Jersey. Yeah. So you would drive in the the Philly. Yeah. Oh, they're usually there. Or and we always. I miss meeting up with people now more that there's phones. <laughs> and it's weird because you sit there and you go, it's odd. So they would they would find you. That must have been great though. I mean Yeah, they they would find us. I know Jimmy Page got my phone number somehow. I got a message from a guy, one of the BTOs. There was a, the counterpart of us was the boys together outrageously, girls together outrageously. And they were just dancers though. They were just wild boys. And one of them was in Paris and ran into Jimmy Page and he told this boy, Carlos, one of the BTOs, I want Miss Pamela. And that got back to me. He sent me a postcard. So I thought, wow, Jimmy Page is interested in me. Okay, I'm going to stay away from him. He had a bad reputation. So I'm, I'm just, I'm going to ignore him. Somehow he got my phone number, though. You know, I mean, and co coerced me into going to a Zeppelin show. And so, I mean, people think I was, I was the one pursuing all these guys. It wasn't the case most of the time because I was a desired entity myself right. yeah See, but but people just you know people don't know unless they read i'm with the band which um, uh which i was a great book and i remember reading that and it's a matter of uh i mean i read it years ago and it was like what made you decide to write a book was it just something that you because you had you've met so many people i mean you know 
you know you're you know rock and roll legends i mean that's you know jimmy page mick jagger i mean yeah. the list goes on what made you decide was it just something that you said you that the stories would be fascinating uh i just knew i was living through a very important time musically historically spiritually every kind of possible way and i kept diaries from the time i was a little kid now what made you start doing that my just- mom got me diary for christmas one year and i felt obligated i was like eight seven or eight i felt obligated to write in it so then I started really enjoying the process of sharing my thoughts with myself so I wouldn't forget. And then it became more like, oh, my God, I've got to record this. This is an amazing thing that's going on. This is an incredible experience. I, I may want to share this with somebody one day, with people someday. I thought it would, I would eventually write it because I, cause I kept such good track of it. And I was in such incredible places, the most ridiculously cool time to be alive in, in that particular world. So yeah, I, th- I always knew I would do something with it. Now, did you always did? You, were you one of those people that, like with a diary? Were you every day? Would you loyal to every it? Every day. So you would sit there and well, now would you write in a day or a night or which is I what wrote you whenever decided? I did. I, I carried it with me on the road with bands and things like that. So I had it. So I had it with me in case some outrageous moment occurred and I could not wait to write it down. Sometimes, unfortunately, I was taking acid and things like that. So I would shine it on occasionally and and i definitely missed some incredible moments of writing things down but i did my best so would you just write for what you felt i mean sometimes it'd be a page sometimes it'd be two pages yeah yeah i just wrote yeah they were art books so they they were unlined and they were just you know thick art books and i would just write it all down Whatever came to me. I was so in love all the time with so many different people. A lot of it is real agonizing, heartfelt, you know, pain, brokenhearted stuff or ecstatic, glorious, you know, spewing about, you know, whoever was coming to town and they called me and I was going to be on stage with them or whatever it was. (laughs) Did you did you enjoy the uh, being up on stage or did you enjoy watching events more? What did you get more fulfilled from was more fulfilling for you? Well, being on stage is is, uh, as close as you get to actually being in Led Zeppelin or the Stones or the Hendrix Experience, all the people I've been on stage with, the Who, whatever. It it is as close as you're going to get to feeling what they feel, you know. So I got to that overwhelming, impossible-to-describe sensation of that adoration from those thousands and thousands of people. So I got to, you know, get a little smidgen of what that is like. Keith Moon once had me stand. He said, okay, you have to stand right here, right next to the drums. I mean, it's it's amazing. I can hear today because he would have me stand. During Tommy, I had to stand visible to the crowd and everything next to him while he drummed on Tommy for the Tommy show. I tell you, so, yeah, you're lucky you're hearing. I, I mean, know. So those are the kind of things. I was on stage with the Jimi Hendrix experience at the bowl because I was seeing Noel Redding. No. Second bass player. That's it. No, now the bowl. It's so funny. I I went to a concert at the bowl recently, and I didn't. I never really knew how big it was in size. I've only been there like twice, and it's it's huge. I mean, yeah. I, I, really I was huge. thinking. I'm like, I was telling my girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, I think it's like I've been there once. Small guys. I think it's sort of like the same size as the Greek. Not even close. Uh, no, close. no. But I mean, that must have been awesome because that's such a legendary place. I mean, you must have just been like, wow. And with you know, you said you were with uh, the experience. That, yeah, yeah. Noel Redding was my one of my dudes. Uh, Hendrix hit on me at first. I am actually in a couple of Hendrix videos. One is Foxy Lady, which completely has disappeared. I remember filming it very, very vividly. uh, And it was on a TV show, a local TV show, and I was so excited. I'm really heavily featured all through. It's just the Hendrix experience and me. And I'm dancing on a pedestal behind Jimmy, and we're frolicking in a field, and we're doing all this stuff. But it's disappeared. I've seen tiny clips of it in the, like the Hendrix bio, the two-hour one. But the other one has just came out. Uh, Spanish Castle Magic has just come out, and I'm in that too. But it's hard to see. I'm just dancing so f- ferociously. <laughs> it's hard to see my face, my hair slinging around. Um, but so, yeah, Hendrix hit on me that day, the first day. And I was just too, I was a virgin, high schooler. A little, he just was very intimidating. So I went for the little bitty British guy instead. (laughs) (laughs) Now you said when you would go on the road, what were some of the roads, uh, the bands you went on the road with? And what was that, what was a road life like back then? Because I know it was supposed to be just insane. 
Well, I was always very taken very good care of by the band, so I didn't see a whole lot of the insanity you read about now. And when it comes to Zeppelin, I went on the road with Jimmy Page with Zeppelin. And uh, Jimmy and Robert and John Paul did not get up to those shenanigans you read about. It was John Bonham and the roadies. So I didn't witness some, you know, any of that naughty stuff. And Jimmy took real good care of me. So he was wild in the sack, of course, but it was all, you know, just one-on-one. <laughs> um, and I went on the road of the Hendrix experience. And uh, my, you know, I would travel to see bands. Like, I, just like, for instance, I still do. Okay. Like, if I, if I want to see Dylan, sometimes I'll travel all the way across, across the country. He was playing with Merle Haggard on two nights, so I went to Nashville just two nights in a row. So I still go myself, but my road trips with bands was mainly Zeppelin and the Hendrix experience. And then I was the L.A. girl for a lot of other, you know, wonderful, you know, Keith Moon was my guy for like three years, and so was Waylon Jennings. Whenever they'd come to L.A., I was their L.A. girl. What was was Keith Moon as you know crazy as they say? Like you yes. hear, I mean, was it? I mean, I mean, because sometimes you said you hear stuff and then no, it's not he true. was, he was. But when it came to the one-on-one thing, I was always, you know, respected and taken care of by them. So he, yeah, I was never abused or hurt by any of these people. Except I mean, sometimes my heart would get broken, right. but. They always took good care of me. But yes, Keith was the the wildest. Whenever he'd come to town, there was one two-week period I spent with him uh, at the Century Plaza Hotel because he'd been kicked out of every other hotel in town. And even to get into the Century Plaza, he had to pretend he was a, fi- a fictitious count from a fictitious country. And he got away with it. His roadie talked for him, Dougal. He wrote a great book called Full Moon, by the way. He spoke for him keith stood there regally in a red velvet cape with an ermine ermine all around it very haughty very regal and we got to stay there for two weeks and they still don't know how he got away well they don't even know he did it unless they read i'm with the band but one afternoon keith had me stand on the balcony he said watch Whenever Keith said watch, you went, uh-oh, what's he up to? What were some of the stuff he did when he said watch? Well, well this, I'm going to tell you, this one was particularly amazing. He, um, right across the street from the Century Plaza Hotel, it's still there, it was a big fountain. So I watched from the balcony as he scuffled over there and dumped a huge box of Tide into the fountain. And it was just madness ensued. <laughs> madness. The bubbles went blocks up in the air. They frothed down both sides of the street. Traffic was stopped all over. The cops came. It was unbelievable. And all we did, we just watched from from our uh, perch. <laughs> and see, no one ever knew he did that. See, that's great. Though. That's, that's, but to me, that's just fun. I mean, <laughs> good, that's clean yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. That's good, clean Well, fun. he did other crazy things, too. But he, not around me. You know, he was, like I said, I was always treated very well by... They were like my boyfriends, you know. Now, when I know you went to acting for a while, too. Mm-hmm. Now, when did that come about? When did Acting? You, yeah, when did you decide to say, you know, because you you were on the road, you were on the road, and you you already you already experienced a great life already, being on the road and being, you know, as you said, feeling the feel of people adoring, you know, at the Hollywood Bowl or the Who on stage, and you you know you were you were on stage yourself with the band. When did you decide that you wanted to go into acting? Well, I always wanted to to do something creative myself. Um, and I, I wanted to act from the time I saw Patty Duke at the Oscar at twelve, you know. Uh, but it just wasn't. I, I, did, I did a lot of things. I did some movies and TV shows, and but it just. I was too, in my head. I just didn't. I was not a good actor. I, in a couple plays, I, I did all right. But I did a soap opera. I remember in New York, I had just met Michael DeBar. And I was so in love with him, and I was so worried about what he was getting up to in L.A. I was in New York doing a soap opera that I did a terrible job and got fired and got back to L.A. to be with Michael. It was, you know, mostly about relationships for me until I started writing. Well, how did you how did you meet Michael? I was doing a movie. I was playing myself in a movie that Chuck Wine was directing. He directed Chow Manhattan. He was a Warhol guy. Um, we were really good friends, and he wrote a movie for me because he knew I really wanted to be, you know, taken seriously as an actor. But the movie wasn't that good, unfortunately. It only came out briefly. Uh, but Keith Moon was supposed to play my love interest, 
my rock and roll love interest, and he didn't show up, which is was kind of typical of him back then. But we had to find a very quick replacement. So Michael was in uh, in town with Silverhead, his band, and he was an actor. He'd been a child actor, so he got the part. It was his 26th birthday. That okay. Day. And we met, and he proposed to me that day, uh, even though he was already married. He'd been married three weeks to someone else. And I had a boyfriend, too. I had a big country singing boyfriend. But, yeah, we wound up together, that's for sure. Was that weird, though, to get married? I mean, just because you to get, finally get married, was that a big step for you? Well, I was 25, you know, at the time. Now that's not so – it doesn't seem like – it's, you should wait even a few more years, but it, it seemed at the time the right time to settle down, and I was really in love, and he was really mad for me, you know, gave up everything to move to L.A. and be with me. His whole Brit, his band, he gave up Silverhead, he gave up his contract, he gave up his ex-wife, um, <laughs> and I thought, wow, this guy is really all about me, you know, and I, I really cherished that, and, and we had a lovely marriage, you know, 14 years in that in industry is good, oh, yeah. right? And we have a beautiful son, and we're still like best friends. So well, it all talk- worked out. <laughs> See, that's good. Now the writing, though. Okay, now you after you wrote the book, I'm with the band. You still continued. You still want to write other books? How do you how do you pick what kind of book you're going to write? I mean, because you know you've seen you've, you've done some fiction, you've done some nonfiction. Do you write what you know? Or I mean, how do you sit there? What what spurs you to write a book? I mean, I know you keep your diary. Do you still keep your diary? No, I stopped the diaries basically when I got married. I st- I just stopped the diaries. It just, it just it didn't seem like I don't know. I tried to keep it up, and it just I was too busy being married and having a kid and everything. I would occasionally write things down, but um, I knew I, I was a good writer, actually. I got really good reviews on the book, and it was a bestseller, and I just thought, well, okay, this is a career I found. Acting wasn't working for me. Actually, when I quit acting is when I started writing. So I just wanted to keep doing it. So I've written four books now. I'm on my fifth, and and they're, they're all nonfiction, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm That's okay. Now, what's what's your fifth one that you're working on right now? I'm about? working on one called. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to think of the title, but it's a book about writing because I teach writing classes, women's memoir, all over the country. So it's about my writing classes, uh, featuring a lot of my my writers' writing, and a lot of the prompts I give in class. And I'm trying to. I, I want to create. The atmosphere in the book that we have in class, it's a very safe space. I think I'm going to call it Let It Bleed. And I need a subtitle still. I haven't thought of the subtitle. But women just cut loose in my class and really reveal things about themselves that they didn't even know. It's really cathartic and it's really a very special three, four hours a week that these women have with me. How, so the, the book is about my writing class. When did you decide to start doing a writing class? Because I think it's great, and I think it's great that the women can uh, cut loose. Because my, yeah. my my girlfriend's a uh, she was a victim of a very high um, profile date rape case in Philadelphia, mm. and now she's speaking and she does Good. that. And she you know she she was helpful. just on e, e True Hollywood Stories and she's oh. blogging. She, I mean it was just it was a social media nightmare thing. Uh-huh. But she opened up and it took her a long time I mean we knew each other for years but we when we started talking I was I didn't see her for 20 years we started talking three years ago she didn't want to tell me at first and then her first 2020 she was in a disguise because she was oh. ashamed of it right but now she's opened up to it and it's, she's amazed I'm amazed and I'm very proud of her but it's amazing that when she blogs and stuff like that how many people reach out to her and mm-hmm. I think it's so important that women you know women this it's good that they open up to you because there's so much women sometimes seem to keep inside and they feel bad about it. and it's bad it's great that you can have an actual platform where they come and when they write they just open up they do I've heard things that uh, so many times women say I've never shared this with anyone in class because it's so comforting and so inclusive and safe so I'm hoping to get that in the book you know I, I really want to encourage women to share more of who they really are, and then they discover so much about themselves that way. You should have her come to my class, I LA class. Um, I've got a great group here. When did you uh, decide to start teaching? Um, wow, I was, during my different books, writing books, I in between I would go to writing classes myself just to keep fresh, you know, to keep current and keep brushed up. 
And my friend Moon Zappa told me about one of her writing coaches. So I went to a class, and in the middle of the class, while I was writing like the second assignment, I saw. I said to myself, I can, I could teach this. Why am I taking this class? I could teach it myself. And it took me a while to actually do it. About a year or so later, I ruminated on it for quite some time. And then I just said, okay, I'm just going to try this. And at the time, there was no Facebook. So I, and I guess, God, what was, what was the earliest one? What? You know, the sharing websites. Oh, because uh, I was only on that a short time. I don't even know. I think it's still uh, there for music. Musicians still use it. What's it uh, called? Uh, um, oh, MySpace. MySpace. Yes, I started advertising on my little space on MySpace, and a few girls responded, and I started having class in my house, and I was just as nervous as they were at first because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. But it but it it worked really well, and more and more people kept coming, and then I decided. I should just because I travel. I love to travel, so uh, I was at South by Southwest one year, maybe eight years ago. Well, this was 15 years ago, by the way, when I started teaching in LA. Okay. Um, now eight, about eight years ago, I was at South by, like I do many years, and talking to some of my friends there about it, and they said, "Oh, you should do it here." So that was my first, next writing group was in Austin. Then I visiting my seeing my agent in New York and the same thing happened so I just start now I have many many cities I travel around and teach and and it's always in a student's home because it's really comforting comfortable and comforting in that way and okay. it's it's just a blast what makes you think that I mean what is it about you that makes them open up because so many people don't open up and it seems like you know it's a class and they're going to writing and it seems more it seems almost it's you're not only writing, it's you're really, I can't think of the word, you're, it's a self-development class or just yes. a self-awareness well, class. Well, it's groupie therapy is yeah. what I call is that, it. <laughs> now, how did you come up with that title? Well, most of them have have been groupies, want to be groupies, or uh, you know, understand and respect the lifestyle. So groupie therapy came about because it's a very therapeutic type of experience for these women. So, And at first, they're, they're nervous too. You know, I keep having new women all the time. Uh, and But one class, that's over. The nerves are completely over because they find that I, I don't know, something I, because most of them have read my books, right? And so they're comfortable with me anyway because they, they've shared my life story. And so it just, it, it becomes just this incredibly safe spot. And they just, I had a girl recently just, you know, cry all the way through reading this and everybody puts their arms around her and, oh, it's so good that you could share this. And, and of course, it's fun, too. We laugh our asses off. <laughs> now, how did you get into the clothing line? I know you're starting a clothing line. Or how, did, how did that come about? It's called Groupie Couture, and it's groupiecouture.com. Um, it's just a clothing line that I have wanted to, I've wanted to have my own clothes forever and ever. I've been wearing vintage clothes from pre-GTOs. I remember digging through a, a, a friend of mine's grandma's cedar chest. She said we could go through her stuff. And I just fell in love with these velvets in high school, velvets and laces and things from the teens, 20s and 30s back then. It's much harder to find now. So we, on Groupie Couture, we have a, a vintage, bunch of vintage clothes, but we're starting to do our own dresses, copying the dresses I wore back then, silk velvets and things like that. Now, you think you think it will, it will do a lot of people have an interest in that now? I mean, I think it's a great style. Well, I think it's cool. it's a way to express yourself, and especially for women. You know, women uh, tend to be able to wear more deluxe finery than guys, although, you know, I don't think that's right, but women want to show who they are through their clothing, through their accoutrement. We sell a lot of jewelry and feather boas and just all kinds of beautiful feminine items. And oh. I think it's just a way to express yourself again, another way to show who you are. That's you know? good. It's very, you're very into the self-expression, which is good. Uh -huh. We need that. That's always yeah. that we need that, though, because people are so, now they're just, no, one's, no one expresses themselves anymore. And if you do, everyone goes, eh. You know, it's like you, you have to be, I'm not going to say, and this isn't, you have to be nice, not like overly nice nowadays. You know, you can't just, if you go out or off and you rant on something, people go, oh, what's, what's wrong with that person? Well, people rant on Facebook and they rant on all those, you know, different platforms. And 
It seems like people are a lot more angry than they, than they used it to is, be. It's true. They, I don't know what and, it is. And, and they sit in a restaurant together on their phones. They sit staring at this little screen across from each other when they should be engaging themselves, each other. I, and it's a very weird time, I think. <laughs> oh, it is, yeah, you're right, though. It's so funny. It's like it used to be I would, I would sit there and you go, you see an older couple and you can tell that they were married for a long time and they'd be out to dinner and they'd be reading a newspaper. Yeah. And they right. go, okay, well, they've been married for so long. Let's just think, this is where they probably go out to dinner every Thursday. But now you're right. Now you go out and you see a group of like uh, five kids and they're like this. You're like, you're like, not you're, even per, kids, just I mean, I mean, all but, ages of people now sit across from each other and don't talk and look at Tumblr or Instagram, these things that are just quick flashes of nothing. You know, it's very strange. I, I go on there, I, I'm on Facebook, of course, but it's mainly to get people to my classes, to my rock tours, to, to you know, put a really beautiful poem out there by Whitman or whatever. Well, right now I'm trying to get a, 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 a roommate. My, my roommate's moving. So I, do, I use it for things like that, and it really helps. But people who go on there to just be mean to each other or... Well, that's that's also with or, Twitter. It's it's very... That's, Twitter, it's so, I guess so, Twitter too. Twitter I use for the same thing. I like Twitter, but that's, that's the one where people just are really mean. And I think it's because... They, with Facebook, if you don't know someone, you really can't write something mean to them. But Twitter, you can just write at such and such. And it's just, it, it amazes me that how people are just mean. And it, it's, know, it's, it's sad. It's like, it's like, it's not even like if you make a joke about someone, that's comedy. Okay. But it's not, yeah, even, yeah. it's like they'll tweet like, oh, you suck. You're an asshole. Why would you even do Sometimes that? Sometimes it's a lot meaner than that, you know. And I've had to block people who are way too opinionated about Obama or whatever it is, you know. But, you know, it is a different time. It's a real different time. It's, uh, I think we need a big slap in the face. <laughs> we do. You know. Now, what, what are the rock tours you're talking about? You said you're rock tours. I do. Uh, I'm with the band Rock Tours of Laurel Canyon and Hollywood. I read out of I'm with the band. I rent a big old van. I have a fantastic driver named Kip Brown who knows Hollywood backwards and forwards, inside out and upside down. And he drives a dozen people. I take a dozen people every few weeks all around to the sites in I'm with the band and read about what happened to me at that particular site. And it's very different from other tours for, th for that reason. No one's pointing at someone's right. house, you know. It's all it's all very, you know, personal. Like some, some what are some of your stops on that? Well, I take them to my old apartments where Jimmy Page and Robert Plant sat together and passed my guitar back and forth and worked on Led Zeppelin II and things like that, places no one would know about. Or Zappa's old cabin, or the Flying Burrito Brothers' house, Burrito Manor, and and I read about things that happened to me in these places, and it's fascinating to to fans. You know, I feel like I'm performing a really beautiful service. It's it's, it's history. It's music history. Um, it's $120 for the day, and you can all this stuff is on my website, PamelaDeBar.com, if anybody's interested in pursuing me <laughs> no, that's that's cool though because that is and it's true and it's everyone has a connection to music i think that's yeah. just something that we all remember so you remember you first you know getting the uh elvis and the jerry lee lewis i remember the partridge family and tom jones which is very bizarre for a <laughs> first grader I, I still don't know but um so when you wrote um with um, uh, the band did, did you get flack from anybody who was mentioning it or did they all say hey it's good or did they sit there and, and not really care I didn't really get flack from anyone. Certainly no one tried to stop it, you know, because it was true. If you're, if you're telling the truth, certainly about a celebrity, there's really nothing they can do about it. You know, if you're, if you're maligning them or telling an untruth, yeah, they'll try to come after you. But no, I was just telling the truth. Um, I remember I haven't seen Mick Jagger in all these years. I, the last time I tried to contact him was so long ago. He had just met Bianca. And I was in Europe, and I was supposed to call him when I got back to London. And I called him, and she answered the phone. She said, don't you ever call here again. So that was it. I never, I haven't seen him since. But when the book came out, um, he Kurt Loder asked him, Rolling Stone writer, asked him what he thought of it. And he said, I was there. That was his only comment. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good comment from Mick Shaker. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, now, but no, everybody's okay with it. Yeah. Now, here's a question that I've always wondered, because you've, you've 
you know, Mick Jagger, Jimmy Page. What do you think? I mean, they were celebrities. I'm sorry, they were rock stars. What do you think has happened now? I mean, do you think they're do they make rock stars like they used to? I mean, cause, <laughs> I mean, because these guys were just legendary. I don't know if it was because it wasn't oversaturation in the markets and stuff like that. But I mean, I mean, these people were bigger in life. Do you see anyone that's bigger in life now that you can sit there and go, that person has it? You know, that there's aura. really no one like Elvis or Mick Jagger. Uh, Springsteen, I love. You know, he may be the last. Well, Kurt Cobain too was really awesome. He's probably the last rock god, in my opinion. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of musicians I love. I love Jack White, and he's he has rock god potential. He hasn't quite. I, actually, he is a rock god. He is a rock god. He's the only one that really stands out to me. It's it's gotten to be so. It's just flash now. You think of Rihanna and I don't know all the, the people who are who are huge right now. It's flash. It's so flashy. They may have talent under there, but it's I can't. You know, it's all dramatic outfits and lights and dancers. No. It's, it's just not. Uh, there's no there, substance. There are rock. I'm not saying there's no substance because some of the words are pretty cool. Lady Gaga writes some pretty cool words, but you know, you're, it's the words are drowned out by the pomp. You know what I mean? Right. I, I I love just a rock band. You know, Guns N' Roses were a great rock band. Pearl Jam were great. They're I you know I know they're out there, but they're not charting, shall we say? Right. Because you know, the Foo Fighters are the closest thing to a rock band that are that's successful, right? Right now. I mean, I mean, yeah, because they're they're there, and the funny thing is, but the Foo Fighters also they came from the lineage of Nirvana, yeah. so it's right, like right. it's sort of like Dave Grohl was it was it's not instilled, but he, he knew what it was like to yes. be, so he to be, translated to be it next to greatness. Now, did you always just date musicians? Did you ever date any actors too? Besides, my, you married well, Don Michael Johnson. But, now, what was that? I mean, Don Johnson is a. Uh, he was a musician as well, and right. he still is. Not, I remember his song "Heartbeat." Yeah, his album "Heartbeat." Yeah, um, he's he's just he was the cutest thing alive. Okay, he was the most beautiful man alive, and we met very easily. He lived next door to a friend of mine, and um, we just hit it off, and we're still very close friends. And now, when did he transition to acting? I mean, was he? I mean, you said he was a musician first. Well, he was he was both. He was always both. When I met him, he'd already done um, a movie called Zachariah, the first rock musical movie. Have you ever seen Zachariah? I've, I've heard a name. Fantastic. Um, and he was, so it was both. He was in a play called Fortune in Men's Eyes with Sal Mineo. So he, he was, we wrote songs together. I mean, he's always done both. He's an incredibly creative guy. He's got a new series coming out. I love I love when he showed up on Eastbound and Down. It was such, yeah. a, it's such a different role for him. And he yeah. showed, and it's one of those things, it's like when those sits and you go, I remember someone sent me a message from back east, and they said, "You got it. You won't believe who shows up." And I go, "What?" And I, you won't believe it. And I'm like, "Well, give me a hint." He goes, oh, "Just take three guests the most." And I never thought that. And he showed up, and he killed it. How about Django Unchained? Yeah, incredible. Yes, in he's that. he's such a good actor. You know what's funny is I I was, I was in college when Miami Vice came out, <laughs> and man, we all wanted to be Don Johnson, and of we we wanted that wanted stubble, <laughs> and, and, and we it didn't even it didn't even look like stubble. Like we were kids, it was like this crappy, and we would find like go to like the local clothes store and find like a yellow blazer, of course, and, and we would wear that, and we're sitting there going, "We're in New Jersey, <laughs> we're not. It's winter. We don't walk around with white pants and yellow blazers." <laughs> Yeah, he came out smelling like a rose. Who who are some of the most fascinating people? Not just fascinating people you've met, not just you know that you've dated or whatever. Just the most some of the fascinating people that you've been so blessed that you felt like you met. Well, Zappa was the most incredibly interesting person. What made him so interesting? He, well, he's a genius and he's done things that no one else has ever done in a hundred years. He's going to be Beethoven, in my opinion, for his composing. But he was just so encouraging to other artists. He would make you feel like what you had to say and do and how you expressed yourself was really important. And he, he was able to pull the creativity out of me that no one, I never even knew was in there. And that's what, almost what I feel like I do in writing class. I sort of... I, but he was also a master puppeteer. He would like pull your strings too. He was brilliant at so many different aspects of life. And Beefheart too. Beefheart just turned my head completely around. When I met him, he said, you're a gas. And I went, what is that? Wow, I'm a gas. What is that? I've got to go find out and be that. <laughs> um, 
gosh, I've met so many cool people. I, it, you know, they are, everyone. Hendrix was so mysterious and enigmatic and charming and scary. You know, I've just every, every all the time I meet really cool people. When you saw Hendrix play, did you know that he would be like? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, was it just because back then? I mean, sure. And this is you know, there's different all guitarists now, but was he just so different from the cut of the regular guitarists he back was then? So he became that instrument. You know, he wasn't playing. He was playing himself it was it was coming from a place inside of him that uh, no one has touched yet and yeah, no one has gotten to the place where he got with it i don't think now do you do you miss those old days of of watching like great like live music when it was just so new i mean because now you still see you'll go see the different bands that you've yeah. known and they're, and they're friends now and it must be a, yeah. a different fascination because back then when you were this you know wide-eyed girl going i just want to meet that guy oh yeah it was so different then because you know like we knew bands were coming to town months before they did. I had my Beatles ticket in 64 framed on my wall for months before they came. So, yeah, it is different that way, but I still go see a lot of music. I still, you know, I love the Mavericks. I go see bands play quite a bit. I never miss Dylan. I get tickets way in advance for him. The minute they come out, I sit there with Ticketmaster dueling with them. I want to just punch them out. Because even though I'm there at 10 and 2 seconds a.m., I, I wind up in the 7th or 8th row instead of... I'm so... Makes me so mad. I that, hate Ticketmaster. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's like, I remember... I when, hate them all. When you were younger, you could go. Well, I mean, I remember going... Yeah. You'd go to like... We'd go to the mall. And the Cherry Hill yeah. Mall, there was a yes, Ticketmaster. Yes, he, oh, And the well, mall... But for me, this, but it was set up where you would wait in line. Yeah, you could wait in line, get your tickets, and yeah. choose your seat and yeah. all that. And now it's just like... I mean, I, I tried to get... I, when I got tickets to see Springsteen... Oh, last time he was in town and I've seen him so much. 10 or 15 times and yeah, I, I saw him when he opened Staples and oh. even then I mean that's I went to when there I live in Burbank there used to be a, a uh, what was that record chain called right here in Olive it was not Empire it was 2020 no I can't think of the name it was it was a big the warehouse oh okay and they had a thing and then out here Spring you could buy tickets at Tower Records you could you could just you know it wasn't like some a uh, obscene entity some weird someone behind the curtain controlling it i can't stand that see yeah that's sad to me. i remember <laughs> trying to get springsteen tickets the first time uh, and i logged in wrong too springsteen too i've tried always to get right luckily steve van zandt is now my ex-husband works on xm okay so the last time he played we got really good seats <laughs> But boy, I know what you mean. Trying to get tickets. To well, you sit there and then you sit there and it goes reload, reload. And then you have to sit there and put yes. so many different codes. It's like, okay. And you can't even read the codes half the time. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, stay to the right. I'm like, who the hell is typing that? And then there's some squiggly word that you, it's not even a real word. And yeah. I'm sitting there going, I'm I like, know. I, I know. wear a glass. Going, doesn't it say <laughs> schmagazzle? I'm like, that's not a word. And then you they're, type they're it in. are now making words, I've yeah. noticed. It's, yeah, and it's crazy. So yeah. now, now uh, did you did you enjoy when you saw Springsteen up close? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yes. Is he amazing yes. or what? I love him so much. He makes me happy to be alive. He, you know, he, he brings people together in a way that I don't know many other people who can do it. I mean, he, he really stands alone in that, to uniting thousands and thousands of people together with one big beating heart, you know. I love seeing him. I try never to miss him. There are people I try not to miss. I still see Dion. I, my last most recent ticket was Dion, and I had to type in those stupid words, and I couldn't get the seat I wanted. Finally, I had to call, and I spoke to a human being at this place in Brooklyn, and I'm going going in july july 9th to see dion see that's been, good though you but you should you should get you should get you should get preferential seats i'm i'm, I'm sorry i'm just saying this i'm just saying there should be a rule and if there's any Ticketmaster dopes listen to this there should be i'm on there should be a pamela the bars rule that because you know she was with the band for christ's sake you know yeah. when you guys people you don't even heard of she's that's been right. a fan you should I'm, I'm sorry i'm one of these people that thank you i, I appreciate no, I that believe i hope that, someone's listening that can help you're me. you're you know you, God, you, 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 you Hendrix, you saw Hendrix play live. I mean, you, you were on stage with Many him. Many times. The who, yeah. And so people like you d if, deserve to get a good seat. There should be <laughs> a rule. You. That you should, no, I mean, because don't you think that makes sense, I, though? No, it does to me. I mean, it makes you, sense you, to me. 
you know yeah. all these people. I mean, if, if you sat there, if, if that's that, now, let's say if, if you called Jimmy Page if they were touring, would you be able to get a seat? Would you be able to get in touch with them? Well, Jimmy, no, but Robert, yes. I've been hanging out with Robert for years. Jimmy is a very reclusive, mysterious dude still, and he doesn't tour anyway. But Robert's on the road now. I mean, I, I never miss him. I always get great seats. Right. He, he played his last album for me in my car way before it came out. So, yes. I still, I can still get Robert tickets. <laughs> yeah, why? Why don't you think uh, Led Zeppelin's actually played together again? I mean, because they've been—it's something. I know you said he's real close, but it would make so many people happy. Robert doesn't want to do it because he has his own career. And okay, he, he is his. It was his call. He didn't want to do it because he doesn't want to sit in the past. He doesn't. He, he'll do a few Zeppelin songs, but he does them in his own brand new way. Uh, have you heard his new album? No. Good. Shame on you! Hey, you know what? I get busy. I, it's a really good album. Okay, I just because my girlfriend always laughs because I, 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 I listen to classic rock and '80s stuff, and she's like, "Are you ever going to come up like the year 2000?" I go, "No, <laughs> I don't need to." If I sit there, if I'm driving and I hear a song I like, if I put on, I always like to put on Sirius the uh, the one that's classic vinyl. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's great because you sit there. I was in Florida, and I would take. We were in Florida visiting our parents, and I took like a I take like a three mile walk on the beach, and I put the serious on and it was yeah. the most relaxing thing because you're walking next to the ocean and you're going yeah it's wow. also nostalgic but I, I do like to hear the new stuff Lazaretto is amazing Jack White's latest album okay it's excellent now who are some other what are some of your other uh, choices for new music that you would sit there and go you gotta listen to well there's a band called Nightmare and the Cat that I absolutely loved that had one record out on Capitol and they dropped them but now this the singer Django is a doing a solo record, and I'm very excited about that. So you know, there, there you know, I have gigs in my yard. As a matter of fact, now how does that work? <clears throat> my ex-boyfriend Mike Stinson, the great Mike Stinson, MikeStinson.net, um, is playing my yard this Saturday. I just I love live music, and and I love to share bands I love. I've had Nightmare and the Cat play in the yard. I've had so many of my friends play but Mike is a special one he comes in from Houston he moved there a few years ago for his career and he's playing Saturday and I just invite I just put my address out on Facebook I've never nothing terrible's ever happened and I have people it's ten dollars at the door and it's potluck and they that tons of people come and listen to live music in my yard isn't it great like when you said it's potluck and when you when you as you get older when you have like a party like we have a Super Bowl party every year uh-huh. When, as you get older and your friends have money, you get the parties are so much better. I mean, because people <laughs> just bring stuff and you sit like at our Super Bowl party, we send people back with beer. They'll bring beer and we're like, yeah. you know we're like, you know we're not going to drink all this beer. And like, what? Uh, I, I people, people usually drink all the booze at my house, but I also barbecue. I have, I, I make a whole barbecue myself and then people bring all the side dishes. And Are you a good cook? Yeah. Oh, I love to cook. Love, love, love it. And I want to say, too, my ex-husband, Michael DeBar, has a new album coming out next month. It's so good. Now, what kind of music Key is he playing universe. now? Is it, is it? Key to the Universe. It's rock. It is like hard rock. He writes all the songs. They're amazingly interesting, cool, edgy songs. And his voice has never been better. It, just in this issue of Mojo, Jimmy Page talks about Michael's voice, how great it still is. That must, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. it's good that the voices stay, they stay mm-hmm. relevant. Well, he's been sober for many, many years. So that's, that's. <laughs> he's taking good care of himself, but he's wonderful. Now, wonderful when, do you ex- when, do you expect to, when do you expect to finish your next book? Uh, it's due September. Okay. So it'll probably be uh, November before I turn it in. I was <laughs> always a couple months late. Do you do late. that? <laughs> Did they ever get Two pissed at you? Because you have a you have a selling bat. Your books sell. They probably don't complain at you. But did uh, they ever no. say? Well, this is a new. This is Penguin. So it's a new publisher. So we'll see how pissy they get. <laughs> but it'll be out next summer probably. We have about five minutes left. I want to know. So your classes, people can find out because you you now. How often do you start a new class? In run? LA, I, I I do eight week courses. I'm about to start one, um, April fourth or whatever. It's a Sunday. Sundays at 6, I do my writing classes in L.A. And I'm about to go to Nashville and Chicago in uh, April. No, May. For the classes. Chicago for writing classes. Yeah, it's all up on my website, PamelaDeBar.com. I have your website up right here. Okay, good. I always look at it. And you're going to Austin, right? Austin, right? Yeah, Austin's the next one. April 20th. That's April. Yep, that's April. I, I do two nights when I travel. And then in July, I'm going to do, I always do Fairmont, Indiana, because I'm a James Dean nut and I have friends there. So I do Fairmont, Indiana, Chicago around the same time. 
And you still get a good turnout. People just, is it word of mouth? I mean, I mean, how many people, like, you know, you said it started smaller. Like, let's say when you go to Austin, how many people will be there? Uh, About 16. I keep it small enough so that there's they can interact with me and each other and read all their work aloud uh, you know i could probably get bigger classes but it's yeah it's the intimacy is what's so cool about these classes but they're from like eight or ten to sixteen in toronto i've had up to 22 people because it's a big city and yeah a lot of writers in there. <laughs> now how, how did you formulate your your teaching plan because it's something that it's it's i, I don't I, really have a teaching just, plan like I, what do you say when you go into the class you i just... feel it out we, we go around and say who we are what we're interested in what our favorite music is what our relationship status is so we get to know each other a little bit and then then i just give three assignments a night they write for 12 minutes there's no time to think so things come out that really surprise everybody and then we read it aloud and we comment and there's no judgment and there's no criticism See that's good. That's the difference between my class. It frees people up to where they don't they don't worry about what they're writing. And if you're worrying about what you're writing, it's not going to be good. True. A friend of mine, me and him, were talking about one time, and because I I was working on a short storybook, and I tend to ramble on, uh-huh. and I and it gets in your head when you're typing, and you see that's why I used to like handwriting because when you're typing, and you see the green squigglies, you go, oh, crap, I got to go back and fix it. Oh. And he always said that's what editors are for. Yeah, and you that's don't a guy. That. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I, I've learned that because yeah, yeah, you sit there and you when you but when you see something. You want it to look right. I mean, you said, oh, there's green on the page. And now I've learned that's not, <laughs> I mean, it's just the way it is. And now after this, will you write another book? Oh, yeah, of course. I have a book that I'm working on for years called Sex, God, and Rock and Roll, which is about my spiritual life, which we never touched on, but it's very deep and wide. <laughs> so that's a book about all my connections with the divine. So. And now how, why has it taken you so long to write that, do you think? You said it's through your spiritual life. Is it just something that you're ready now to write? Or uh, well, I've been, I'm still living it. I'm still in the thick of it. So, but um, also I have tried to sell it in the past, uh, the idea. You know, the, I, I wrote a proposal and they said, well, what does a groupie know about God? You know, so I've had that ex, you know, experience, a judgmental. The, I've gotten a lot of judgments thrown on me through the years. It's gotten better. It's gotten better because I think people realize that I'm actually, I've written several books now and I'm still around and I'm, I make sense and I teach class and I'm not just some slut. You're, you're resilient. <laughs> because for years a groupie was considered, and still by a lot of people, just to be a slut. You know, just to be a money grubbing, you know, gold digger, whatever. It's none of that. A real groupie just loves the music, wants to be around it. That's all it is. Yeah, well, you know, you're right, and that's it's, and it's the old double standard, you know. And it's, totally it's double so, it's standard. Like, it's like, hey, this it's guy's a, hey, let's party like a rock star. But oh wait, oh wait, a girl can't party like. Her. I mean, it's just so it's, so it's so funny when you think about it, and it's true. We're all just people, and, and that's just it's so funny. And I go through this all the time, even with so with my girlfriend. Sometimes, like she put something article, up and some guys like. That's what you deserve, or something. You know, like this. And it's like you're just you're stupid. I know. It's, it's, like, it's, it's always it's, it's a guy. Dis- it's disgust. It's always yeah, it's always it's guys. It's always a guy. Yeah. But I love guys. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you're 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 with the band. I want to thank you for coming on. Thank uh, you, Steve. Give all your plug all your stuff right now once again because I want people to hear it. Your, your Twitter. Uh, yes, I have a Twitter. It's just my name, Pamela DeBar. Uh, I uh, obviously I'm on Facebook. I have a fan page and a regular page. You can just follow me there. Um, and uh, my website is PamelaDayBar.com. All my classes and rock tours and all of that is on there. And GroupieCouture.com. You can get all dressed up like me. Is it? Do they have to get it online or can they get it at stores? Not yet. It's all online now. And one day it will be on stores. We're, we're actually talking with investment people right now. It's going to get bigger, which is exciting. And I also am about to start a dating website okay and that's gonna be very cool i can't talk about it too right. much because someone will steal it but that's awesome well you know it's great meeting you as i said <laughs> it was great meeting you so people follow her go to her website she's got a lot of great stuff going on go take the class uh follow me uh at cooper talk my tweeting i always i try to tweet funny jokes just tweet what's up um you can go to my website coopertalk.net i have uh over 350 episodes up there. Uh, you can send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net there also. Or if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, 
type in Cooper Talk, you can hear my episodes. And also go to my new website, StopTheSalt.com. That's right. You guys remember when I had my health problems? Well, I have a cookbook. It's 120 recipes, all low-sodium cooking. And what's different about this cookbook is it's for people who can't really cook. So it's basic, easy recipes, but they're all healthy and they're all good. And basically, there's no pictures because I know we get intimidated when you see pictures. There's not 15, 16 different spices because I cook. I maybe have 14 spices, but most people don't have those spices, so it's easy. The recipes, there's a little humorous antidote about the food you're going to eat. And it's just something that you need to eat healthy because especially people, we're getting older. And, and the thing is, you got to stay healthy because it's very important to keep up your health because you want to live a long life. I mean, who wants to leave? You can listen to Cooper talk the rest of your life. So go to StopTheSalt.com. I'll autograph it for you. You can buy it there. It's $10 or three ninety nine shipping. Or you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Just type in Steve Cooper StopTheSalt.com and buy the book. So once again, follow Pamela DeBars. Go to her website. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your <laughs> vitamins, and I will see you guys next week. Do your and exercise. keep listening. And do your exercise. And yoga. I didn't bring up your <laughs> yoga. And there you go. So you guys have a great day. Thank you. <laughs>